Good morning. God is amazing. Let's not forget that. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13, or you can follow along in the screens up, up here. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 9. This is the New Living Translation. The Baptism and Temptation of Jesus. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for forty days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. The word of the Lord. Good morning, TCC. It's a privilege to be able to continue on in our study in the Gospel of Mark. Um, before we do that this morning, I, um, there's something I do when, I, when we do our uh, midweek um, equip courses with people. I love to read a psalm. And I invite everyone who's attending the class just to close their eyes and breathe. Um, our lives are so frantic and so busy. And it's funny how even in a moment of um, who's supposed to come up on the platform, it's this awkward, we don't know what to do with quiet and silence. Uh, but I want to invite us this morning just to a posture with our hands open on our laps and maybe our eyes closed, just to listen to the Word of God being read and listen to the words and allow those words to, to speak to you. Um, and I just hopefully that this will be an encouragement to you. And when I finish what I'm reading, I'll be quiet for a bit and we can sit in silence together. Um, and then I'll pray and we can jump into our study this morning. This is Psalm 25, if you want to close your eyes and put your hands on your lap. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall all be ashamed who are deliberately treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Father God, we join in this prayer of David. Lord, as he prays, Teach me your paths, O Lord. Lord, we join in this prayer and pray, lead me, lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. 
So Jesus, this morning we come with our hands open before you. Lord, trusting that your spirit can speak to us and move in our lives in a way that brings change, brings hope, redemption. So we pray that you would speak this morning, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that the words of my mouth would be honoring to you. Just bless your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, summer is in the rearview mirror, uh, unfortunately. Um, how many of you this summer had the privilege of enjoying a road trip? A few people? Yeah. How many of you grew up in road trip families? Yeah, a few of us, yeah. yeah. I grew up in a road trip family. I asked my mom to send me pictures of the van that we road tripped in, because it was like this big, proper van, but all the pictures had me in them, and it was very embarrassing, so I decided that we shouldn't show those pictures. But this old van ran on propane. Um, in the back, you could fold down the back bench so that it was a bed. This thing was absolutely amazing, and we would travel to Chicago in this van as a family. My mom's from Chicago, and, um, and so we'd do these incredibly long drives, and uh, luckily we made it. But going on these trips, it was really important that we would plan and, and prepare in such a way that the trip would be successful. So we would bring a TV, a little tube TV that uh, plugged into the cigarette lighter. Um, and we would watch television as we drove. We brought lots of snacks. Uh, my parents would stop and have coffee. And, and it seemed that having all these elements in place made the journey a success. But not only this, these supplies needed to be maintained. Heaven forbid we would run out of snacks, or heaven forbid that the crafts that we had to keep us busy uh, got lost or, or fell between the cushions in the back seat or whatever it was. And for us even today as adults doing these road trips, heaven forbid you run out of snacks as you're driving across or that coffee cup is finally on empty. You know, maintaining the right supplies on a journey is important. We understand that. We keep our eyes on the fuel gauge to make sure we have enough gas to get us where we need to go. Uh, we keep our eyes on our children to make sure they're doing all right. We, we see if there's places that we might need to pull off and, and adjust the situation to make things a bit better. And when I think about that and I parallel that to our lives, I can't help but think that our lives, they really are a journey, are they not? Our lives have a beginning and an end. We are headed in a direction. We, we tend to go from one place to another. And those of us who've come to know Jesus now live in the reality that we don't have to go on this journey alone. But what does this journey look like? You know, we're good at thinking about the conditions that are required for us to have a great road trip with our families. But do we take the time to think about what conditions are required for us to enjoy a productive and successful walk with Jesus? What are the things we need to bring with us on this journey of life? You know, I found in my own life that there's, there's times in, in this journey where I'm doing a lot better than others. There's times where I'm more thinking about the things that are maybe required. When I think about how am I walking with Jesus? How am I spending my time? What am I investing my energies into? Then there's also times where I feel like I'm running out of fuel. I feel like I might be getting lost, feeling hungry and dry, wondering where my snacks went. 
Maybe you can relate. This morning we find ourselves at the prologue of Jesus' ministry. And I believe that Jesus began his ministry with all of the right supplies. And I believe that just in these few passages in Mark that were read for us this morning, we read of Jesus demonstrating for us three postures. Or you could say three things that we need to bring along with us on this journey that we call life. And these postures that Jesus demonstrates for us are are ones that we need to make sure we carry with us on the journey. So for each one, I'm going to kind of look at it a bit through a theological lens, which is to say I'm going to unpack a bit of what's going on in the Gospel of Mark. Um, And then I'm going to look at how this posture relates to to us. So it's almost like three mini-sermons. So (laughs) bear with me in that. So how did Jesus begin his journey? Well, first we read in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The first thing we see Jesus do in, his, in this prelude to his ministry is he's baptized. And Norm spent some time last week talking about what baptism is. And, and baptism, when we look, you know, when we baptize someone today, we understand that they're becoming a part of, of, of the Christian family. They're They're coming to be uh, familiar with Jesus' death and resurrection. But when Jesus was going to the water, he wasn't wasn't identifying himself with Jesus' death and resurrection because Jesus hadn't died or been brought back to life yet, has he? With a bit of study, we see that baptism actually began as a ritual to initiate new believers into the Jewish religion. And baptism continued to serve as a purifying mechanism in the Jewish, Jewish religious life. So they saw this idea of going down under the water and coming back up. On one hand, it was for people who wanted to become part of the Jewish religion. On the other hand, it was something that they used as part of a ceremony to become ritually clean. And they understood that they needed to be ritually clean before they could engage in certain forms of worship. So the concept of baptism was not foreign to these people. Now Mark told us that John's baptism was very specifically about the repentance of sin. And I want to unpack this really quick. And and I think we understand what that means, this idea of um, when they come to the water, they go down. It's that act of repentance. Um, But I just want to take a second to look at what these words repentance and sin and mean. The first word we have, repentance, which is from the Greek word metanoia. And the the literal translation of this is to change the mind. It's a change of mind. We might say that it is turning. In the New Testament, repentance primarily refers to a comprehensive change of one's orientation toward following God. So to repent, repent isn't simply saying, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did the wrong thing. It's not coming to Jesus with the right words or, um, you know, rattling off some sort of prayer to be made right with him. Rather, repentance is acknowledging that the way that I've been thinking, the way that I've been acting, isn't the way that God wants me to think or act. And so the repentance is the changing of my mind. That I've looked at this action or this thought in one way, in the way that I think I should do these things. And now I'm turning that to see it God's way. And I'm going to agree with God's way. So there's, that's what we get with this word repentance. Is it's this changing of the mind. This recognition that 
the way that I'm doing this isn't the way God wants me to do it. But I want to do it the way that God wants me to do it. So I'm going to change my mind and look at it the way that God looks at it. Again, it was a repentance of sin. So a changing of mind around sin. And this word sin in the Greek is hamartia. And the word sin is... It's less this idea of like, these are all the bad things. This is sin. So often we think of sin like that. And I've talked about sin in sermons in the past. And I like to look at it and define it more as this idea of missing the mark or missing the goal. So it's indicating a lack of conformity to divine standards. So we understand that God has standards. God is our creator. He made us. He formed us. He has a purpose for us. And he knows how we can get the most out of life. And he has these ideas for us. And so that is the standard. So if we're trying to live up to this standard and we're missing it, we're not achieving that standard, well then you could say that, well, that, that's sin. And this sin, we understand, leads us to separation from God. So when John was preaching a baptism of repentance, he was saying we need to change our minds about the sin in our lives. We need to change our minds about our actions and our behaviors And come to a place before God where we're saying, God, we want to live your way. That was John's message. Now here's a question for us. Jesus is getting baptized. So did Jesus need to change his mind? Did he need to repent? Well, our understanding of that very simply is no. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was someone who had lived up to this perfect standard of God. So why should Jesus be baptized? Well, we can only speculate on what the baptism meant to Jesus himself when he went down in that water and came back up. Um, But what we can be sure of is that by being baptized, Jesus identified himself with Israel, a people who had separated themselves from God. So Jesus, God sends Jesus into the world and he sees all these people who are separated from God and he chooses to identify himself with them. By entering into the waters of baptism. Friends, in being baptized, Jesus identified himself with us. He came down and he lived among mankind. He came and he dwelt among us. And he participated in this act of baptism, identifying himself with us, though he was sinless. Jesus identified himself with our need for God. And as we'll go on to read in the book of Mark, he identifies with that need over and over again. And he does this throughout his ministry, becoming aware of needs and then meeting those needs. Ultimately, Jesus identifies with and meets this need on the cross, which is an amazing picture of God's grace. By being baptized, Jesus also gave us an example that we need to follow. Though he didn't need to repent, he demonstrated that the action of baptism and the heart of repentance that it requires is very, very important. So Jesus' demonstration of baptism invites us to maintain a posture of repentance. This is the first thing that we need to bring with us on the journey, is a posture of repentance. As we walk with Jesus... We need to consider the things we are saying, the things we are doing, and maintain a posture of repentance. 
The Apostle Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, do not be conformed to this world. He's basically saying, don't change and fix your mind on the things that the world says that you should fix your mind on. Rather, you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Allow your mind to be changed. Maintain this posture of repentance. Many of us, I'm sure, can relate to the posture of repentance when we became Christians. Because when people lead others to the Lord, it's this idea of we need to repent of our sins and, and ask Jesus to come into our lives. So repentance is very much something that we talk about when we first become Christians. Um, but when we think about it only in that term, we can lose some of the importance of it. Because there's this reality that when we become Christians, the desires that we have and the things that kind of draw us away from God, those don't just go away. And as we walk with Jesus, we're continually faced with choices. We're continually faced with decisions that we need to make. And we live in a culture and a world that is trying to pull our attention away from Jesus. It's trying to pull our attention away from God. It's trying to tell us that we can go and live however we want. We can do whatever is right in our own eyes. But the invitation we have in Scripture is that as we walk with Jesus, it's this continual recognizing that, that Jesus, I want to think about things the way you think about them. I want to walk through life the way that you want me to walk through life. I want my mind to think the way that your mind thinks. And so we see that this repentance is such an important part of us walking with Jesus. Such an important part. So that is our first, our first posture. Many of you this morning might find yourself engaging in things that you know that you shouldn't. Some of you this morning might feel like you're trapped in sin. That there's behaviors and things that you do that you don't really want to do. There's things that you know you shouldn't do, but you keep doing them. I pray that you hear the invitation this morning to choose to turn from these things. Choose to maintain this posture of repentance. The second thing that Jesus does is he hears the Father. He hears the Father. We pick up in verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately Jesus saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Wow. Okay, so what's going on here? How are we to understand this divine voice of God spoken over Jesus? The first thing I believe that Mark is trying to point to us is this idea that God's presence had come. God's presence had come. The tearing open of the heavens is very significant because it echoes Isaiah 64 verse 1 where they write, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, tear the heavens open, and come down. It was a cry of the people of God looking up to, up to the heavens and saying, God, would you please come? Would you please come be among us? And here we have it at Jesus' baptism. The heavens torn open. God coming among his people. Jesus came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came down. Commentator William Lane writes, In this expression of unqualified divine approval, there is recognition of Jesus' competence to fulfill the messianic task 
That's being, that is the task of being a savior for which he had been set apart. So it's this affirmation of the person of Jesus. God speaking this over him, declaring that I've answered the prayers of my people. I have come to be among them. And I've come in this person named Jesus who just got baptized. The second thing we see taking place in this is that God's love for his people is being proclaimed. And how does that work? Well, the Old Testament talks a lot about Israel being God's son. We read about that in Exodus chapter 4 verse 22 where uh, Moses comes before Pharaoh and he speaks the words of God to Pharaoh and he tells him that, that, that Israel is God's children. And throughout the Old Testament we see this relationship between God and Israel. God looks at Israel, he calls them his children. But we read about this relationship and we see that Israel makes a lot of bad choices. That Israel keeps pushing God away. It's almost like Israel is saying, I don't want to be your child. We don't want to be your people. We want to do things our own way. And we watch this interaction over hundreds of years unfold. And it's very, very heartbreaking. Through Jesus, though, being children of God is made possible again. We read about this throughout the New Testament. That because of Jesus, as as you and I come to have relationship with Him, we are brought into relationship with God, and God calls us His children. And that is only possible through the person of Jesus. So we have this declaration from the heavens of the sonship of Jesus. It comes to us as an invitation that we can be restored into being God's children once again. It's God looking at His people and saying, I love you. I'm crazy about you. I want to be with you. I want to be your father again. And the only way that's going to work is if you come to my son. So we have Jesus among the people of Israel. The people that had rejected God. And God placing his son there and saying, Israel, if you want to be back in relationship with me, because I want to be in relationship with you, you need to come to my son. So what do we learn from this part of the passage Jesus hearing God's voice, I believe, invites us to be a people who listen. And what did God say to Jesus? He said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And while this statement has profound theological implications, it also invites us to consider the question, what may God, my heavenly Father, be speaking over me? What might God, your heavenly Father, be speaking over you? God's voice to Jesus, you are my child, I love you, I'm pleased with you. Have you heard that voice of God come to you? In this statement, we, have, we can find a lot of our identity. That as we come to Jesus, as we submit to his, his rule and His ways, as we live and do life with Him, we participate in being children of God. And God's voice comes to us. I love you. You're my child. I am pleased with you. Friends, the ministry of Jesus 
All that we're about to read in the Gospel of Mark flows out of Jesus knowing who he was. He knew his identity. He knew that he was God's son. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God was pleased with him. And out of that place, he did everything else. It's a funny story I I came across a couple of years ago um, about a turtle. And this turtle is, we see this turtle, he, he wanders up to the base of a tree. The turtle climbs the tree, goes to the edge of the branch on the tree, and he jumps off the tree. And the turtle comes crashing down, he hits the ground, he rolls around, gets back up, goes to the base of the tree, climbs the tree, goes to the branch, goes to the end of the branch, jumps off the branch, he's flailing his arms, crashes to the ground. Third time, the turtle wanders to the base of the tree, climbs the tree, goes to the end of the branch, jumps off the branch, waving his arms, crashes to the ground. There's two birds watching from above. And they, one leans to the other and says, Well, you think it's time we told him he's adopted? <laughs> that poor turtle. <laughs> the turtle in this story was really confused about its identity. The turtle thought it was a bird and tried to live life as a bird, but it didn't work out for him. Friends, for us as children of God, I wonder how often we go to the base of a tree and climb to the tree and go to the end of the tree and jump off and wave our arms only to crash to the ground. Because we've misplaced our identity. We can live our lives as if we want to be children of this world. We can live our lives looking at all the things that are around us and desire those things and, and say, do you know what, God, your stuff's okay, but everyone over here, they look really happy. I want to, I want to go do this. And we come to the base of a tree. But when we know our identity, when we know that we are children of God, when we know that He loves us, that He's pleased with us, everything else flows out of that place. And when Jesus is saying, Hey, Adam, I I have this this thing I want you to do, and I'm looking at it, I don't want to do that. That's really tough. I'd rather go over here and do this. And say, Adam, you're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. From that place, I might say, God, I don't understand what you're calling me into. I don't understand what this is about. But I know I can trust you. So Jesus listened. And he heard from God who he was. He heard his identity. He heard his place in the world. And he lived out of that. So too, we need to listen to the voice of God. And hear him speak over us, our identity. And engage in life from that place. Knowing that we are his children. That he loves us. And that he is pleased with us. Following Jesus' baptism, we read in verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out of the, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. So how are we to understand Jesus' temptation? Something interesting to me about this passage when I think about ministry and church 
is that if someone is to be filled with the Spirit the way that Jesus was, I would expect them to go get to work, to go do ministry, to go preach, to go engage, to go witness and evangelize. But that's not what happens. Instead, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus away into the wilderness. It's very strange. Unique in the Gospel of Mark, so Matthew and Luke don't talk about this, is the reference to the word wild animals. Mark's going out of his way to point to something. And the dating of the Gospel of Mark places it somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. And this was a time when Christians were facing persecution in Rome. And Roman historian Tacitus spoke of Nero's savagery towards the Christians in the 60s of the first century. And he used these words. He said, The Christians were covered with hides of wild beasts and torn to pieces by dogs. Now this is interesting. So the, the Christians in Rome are going, undergoing crazy persecution. Some of them are put before wild animals as entertainment to watch them get killed by these animals. Which is just a horrible almost unimaginable thing. Uh, But it's possible then that Mark understands his audience to be a type of wilderness people. His emphasis on Jesus' position in the wilderness among the wild animals uh, to be something that his readers would deeply relate to. So as a Roman Christian reading the Gospel of Mark, they're reading, Jesus was among the wild animals? Man, we're among the wild animals. Jesus was was in this place of trial and persecution and harm. Man, we're in a place of trial and persecution and harm. In the way that Jesus' baptism was Him coming and relating to humanity, so too Jesus' testing and temptation in the wilderness establishes His humanity. Him coming and relating to the people. Jesus submitted to the Spirit's leading, and he followed the Spirit's leading. Luke's gospel gives us more details around Jesus facing temptation. And the conclusion we can take from some of this, among many conclusions, is that Jesus is human. The temptation that you and I face on any any day, any level, is, is similar to the temptations that Jesus faced. That the way that we feel led to to maybe wander off of God's best for us. So too, too, Jesus felt this longing and temptation to wander off of God's best for him. Luke gives us three specific interactions between Jesus and the enemy. So in your temptation, in your trials, you know that Jesus too was tested and tried. Jesus' wilderness experience invites us to be people who follow. Invites us to be people who follow. Jesus is in, the invitation of Jesus to come live and then be with him, Jesus' invitation to us is not to a set of rules and regulations. Rather, it's to a new way of life. Jesus has invited us to a new way of life. And it's so easy in Christianity to think that being a Christian is just about doing the right things, thinking the right things, behaving in the right ways. But friends, if that's your assumption of Christianity, that is a reduction of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to show us a better way. 
And it's our responsibility to follow him in that better way. Um, I, um, I'm a journeyman carpenter, and I, I apprenticed under a guy named Craig in Calgary. We were building houses for, for years there. And I would say that I framed houses in the way of Craig. <laughs> that makes sense. I framed houses in the way of Craig. Which basically means that the way that I would swing my hammer, the way that I would lay out a wall, the way that I would, would construct the roof and, and figure out the valleys and the peaks of that roof and how to fit it all together, was all done in the way that Craig taught me how to do it. So Craig would, would show me the best way to do something and, and I would follow his example. At the end result of that is me with a, a journeyman certificate who can do carpentry in the way Craig taught me to do carpentry. I had to follow his lead. I had to trust in his advice. So too, for each one of us, walking with Jesus, engaging in life as a Christian, requires us to follow Jesus. To walk through life in the way of Jesus. And I think of this in my own personal life. It's bringing my thoughts, my attitudes, my character before Jesus and saying, Jesus, how would you do this? I want to do this the way that you would do this. Jesus, I'm a young dad. I've been married for a while. I, I, I want to engage with my family the way that you think I should engage with my family. It's going to work and saying, Jesus, I have all these tasks to do. I want to do them in a way that honors you that acknowledges you, that glorifies you. For students who are in school, it's going to school and saying, Jesus, as I walk the hallways of this, of this high school or this junior high, I want to do it in the way that you would have walked these hallways. Jesus, I want to love those around me the way that you love them. I want to care for the way, people around me the way that you would have cared for them. I want to walk in life in your way. I believe that Jesus had that posture before the Father. And the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. He walked through life with complete dependence and and unity with the Father. And friends, so it can be for us. We don't have to do this of our own strength. We don't have to wake up in the morning and say, Okay, today I'm going to be a good Christian. Today I'm going to make it work. Jesus' invitation to this life was also to stop engaging in our lives by the power of our own strength. Rather, Jesus invites us to live by a new power. Jesus invites us to live by a new power. That same spirit that descended upon Jesus at his baptism is available to us today. To be with us as we walk through this life. The power of His Holy Spirit, the one leading us and guiding us, helping us in our thinking, helping us in our doing, helping us in our loving, teaching us, being with us. So before Jesus began His ministry, which we're going to read about next week, before He did that, He engaged in repentance, this action of changing his mind. He listened to and heard the voice of the Father speak over him. 
And he followed the lead of the Spirit. These were the things that he equipped himself with so that he could do the things that God had called him to. So too for us, friends, as we walk through this life with Jesus, in the way that we would make sure that we have enough fuel in the car to get us to where we we need to go, are we being mindful of the things that we bring along with us? Are we too taking time to, to think about changing our minds, conforming our minds to God? It's the simplicity of being in His Word. It's the simplicity of spending time with other believers and, and, and praying together and seeking God's will together. Are we taking time to listen? Getting, getting time to be alone with God? Praying, casting all your cares, all your anxieties before Him and then sitting and listening to hear what He has to say. Are we hearing from Him our identity that we are indeed His beloved children? who he is pleased with. And lastly, are we being mindful to be people who are following him in every aspect of our lives? I believe Jesus' demonstration to us has a lot to teach us this morning. Let's pray together as the worship team comes to the platform. Father God, we thank you so much for your words in Mark, and I thank you, Lord, for the invitation that presents itself in this gospel. And the invitation that it presents itself in these few verses, Lord, that we would be a people whose minds are changed, whose minds are being conformed to think and do and engage in life the way that you will. Lord, thank you for, in these verses, the invitation for us to be people who listen and hear the voice of God speak over us. Lord, to thank you the invitation in, in these verses that we would be someone who is led by your Spirit, walking in the same power that Jesus walked. And Jesus, we come before you and say that we need you. We need that power. We need your Spirit's guiding and leading. So Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to be a people who submit to that lead. Lord, may our lives reflect a deep, deep love for you, Jesus. We praise you and thank you. Amen.